Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my name is Katie Dilbo. I am your host, and I am the author of the book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling, published with Hay House last month, April 5th, if you're listening to this the day it comes out. And I'm so excited that it's out in the world. So many of you guys have been tweeting at me, Instagramming at me, your pictures of the book. If you haven't checked out the book yet, it would be fantastic if you could just get yourself on over to your local Barnes & Noble or click on over to Amazon, as you know the links in the show notes, and get yourself a copy. You can get a copy for your friend. That would be super awesome. And if you are listening the day this comes out and you are in the LA area, I am there as well. I'm in LA right now. You might run into me and I hope that you do and we should hang out and you should say hi and I can't wait to see you. But if you really want to nail me down on the 22nd, which is Sunday evening, I will be in Santa Monica for my book lunch party in LA. So come to the party, get your tickets early. You can get them in the link that is in the show notes. There's an Eventbrite and you could just grab a ticket on there. And it's just going to be a really fun party on a patio with my book and me and lots of cool people to meet and talk to. And it's going to just be a really fun meetup. So I would love to see you there. RSVP. There's a Facebook event. There's the Eventbrite. And you can just walk in if you want as well. But I cannot wait to see you. I'm going to get to meet so many cool people there that I know from online that I haven't met in person yet. It's going to be a blast. Many podcast guests are going to be there. So just come get your ticket. Cannot wait to sign books and give hugs. Going to be so much fun. So on to this week's episode. Oh my gosh, I teased this last week, but I am so excited to talk about meditation. Like I was saying in the last episode, this new type of meditation came into my life just within this last year, within 2016. It came into my life last fall. And then in January, I was trained with TM, Transcendental Meditation. I learned how to do it and I've been doing it ever since. And in fact, right after I record this, I'm going to go do my evening 20 minutes. So it has really become this meditation practice that works for me. I think everyone needs to find a practice that works for them. But the 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, you're going to learn so much more about what this is, what I'm talking about from today's guest, Bob Roth, who's the kindest, nicest, coolest guy that I've met in a while and I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation in just a moment but before we do a couple other quick announcements if you haven't left a review for the podcast it's a great way to support the show without spending a dime so just hop on over to iTunes leave a review and then subscribe on your phone to the podcast because a it helps you to not miss any episodes and b it helps people know who's listening to the show so that's fantastic other way to support the show obviously checking out the book leaving a review of the book on amazon is really helpful as well and telling a friend about the show is very helpful thirdly so one more thing before we get into bob's interview i just want to tell you that there's a second interview at the end of this podcast with dr jeffrey who's the head of mind well in canada and it's a really great organization that talks about 
mindfulness, and meditation, actually. So it's a perfect fit with this week's episode, which is all about meditation and mindfulness, and I cannot wait for you to hear it, so I'm going to get right into that. I can't wait to see some of you guys in LA this weekend, and have an amazing week, and stick around for after the episode with Dr. Jeffrey, the second interview of this podcast, because I will be letting you know who's coming up on the show next week. So welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with Bob Roth, who is one of the most experienced and sought-after meditation teachers in America. And over the past 40 years, Bob has taught transcendental meditation to many thousands of people and authored the authoritative book on the subject, fittingly entitled Transcendental Meditation, which has now been translated into 20 languages. Bob currently serves as the executive director of the David Lynch Foundation, a charity which has brought meditation to over 500,000 inner city youth and underserved schools in 35 countries to veterans and their families who suffer from post-traumatic stress and women and children who are survivors of domestic violence. Bob is one of the Bob is the host of the Sirius XM show Success Without Stress, which I just listened to him interview Jerry Seinfeld on, which was amazing and He has spoken about meditation everywhere from Google to the Wisdom 2.0 Festival, and now he's here to hang out with us in the Wellness Wonderland. So thank you so much for being here, Bob. Thank you very, very much. It's a real honor to to be part of your show. Yay, I'm I'm so excited. So I would love to just, you know, kick off by hearing a bit of your story and kind of zoom the lens back of like, how you got to where you are being involved in the David Lynch Foundation. And I'm most curious about how you personally found meditation and what your story is with it. So it's a great question. Let's go back to uh, I was 18 years old and I was in my freshman year in high school. I mean, freshman year in college at the University of California at Berkeley during a time of great rioting and upheaval. And I had come from a sort of a you know, a middle middle class suburban school across the bay, and I was very active invo- and involved in Senator Bobby Kennedy's campaign to run for president. Oh wow! Cool. And I wanted to, you know, those were the days in the late '60s when you really wanted to not just change the world, but with the Soviet Union, you wanted to not just you wanted to save the world. So yeah. I was working for Senator Kennedy, and. Um, I was on a track to go to Berkeley and I wanted to go to law school and then I wanted to be a United States Senator just like Senator Kennedy and change the world. And he was assassinated just before my high school graduation and that had a huge impact on me. When I look back on it, like he wasn't just someone who was killed, it was like that was my direction in life and some people want to be a doctor, some people want, and I really want to go into politics. Those were days when politics was a noble profession. And not a joke. Um, and anyway, so I went to Berkeley, and they're rioting, and there's tanks parked outside my door, and there's tear gas everywhere. And my sense that politics would be a channel for my idealism, my desire to make a better world, my desire to bring fairness or justice to society, that politics really just, Katie, just eroded because there was so much violence even within the political left and the political right it was very divisive and I thought okay I'll always be interested in politics but it ain't gonna be my channel 
And so I moved over to education and I thought, all right, I'll get a PhD and I'll develop, I'll do educational curriculum. I'll develop curriculum for kindergartners so you can start one at a time and be able to, you know, change the world that way. And along the way, I was under an enormous amount of stress and pressure and demand and going to school full time and working full time. And a friend of mine said, well, you should try something called transcendental meditation. And to be honest, it wasn't even in my vocabulary because I'm an activist kind of a guy. You know, I want to like bring justice to the world and not just yeah. think about it. And um, am I talking? Is this okay, too long here? No, no, no. I'm just okay. agreeing. No, this is great. Yeah. Keep going. So um, I, I was just so and I said, well, I don't really you know, I don't really want to start a new I don't want a new age religion. I don't want. And he said, no, no, no. It's none of that stuff. Just it's not just learn it. Just find out about it. So I went and I heard a talk. And it sounded really good. Meditation, this transcendental meditation, your active thinking mind, you can access a field of pure consciousness within, a calm, settled, collected state which already exists within me and everyone. It's not something you have to believe in, it's just there. Like an ocean has waves on the surface but is silent at its depth. And meditation, the mind is active and noisy and agitated on the surface but is always silent at its depth. And this was a, a way to access it. So I learned it. And I have to tell you, I went into it sort of skeptical and yet open and and innocent because I hadn't read naive, I hadn't tried other things. And almost from my first day, I thought, oh my, it was so significant. It was so real. And it wasn't just sort of thinking about stuff or some guided thing. It was a physiological thing of deep inner calm and peace and relaxation. I had the thought, I'd really like to teach this to inner city school kids because that was the target that I was wanting to you know, write curriculum for. And I thought that's how I could change, really change people and allow them to grow within themselves. So it was a huge, it was a dramatic change in my trajectory. I became a teacher of Transcendental Meditation and I went back and I taught it at San Quentin Prison. I was in the Bay Area and I taught it in the Mission District in San Francisco and Hunters Point and all these tough areas and then later on I went on and I taught at a General Motors plant in Fremont, California at Apple Computer. And I, I've taught thousands and thousands and thousands of people over all the decades. And 10 years ago, my friend David Lynch, the filmmaker, and I got together and we decided to start a foundation where we would raise the money and bring this to any at-risk child anywhere in the world who wanted to learn to meditate. So that brings us up to today. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for telling us that story. So one thing that um, I want to pick up on in, in your story, especially, you know, getting back to Bobby Kennedy and politics, you know, at that time, um, I saw the movie Bobby when it came out. How, did you watch it? Did it seem oh, yeah. pretty oh, accurate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it, the thing is is I was 18, you know, 17 or 18. Yeah. He, he was like only 42 or something. Now yeah. I look back on he's like a kid. But, but um, yeah, it was very accurate. And I've become friends with Maria Shriver and the Shriver family, you know, which was, uh, Maria was his, his uh, niece. And it's lovely because I'm working with Maria to bring Transcendental Meditation to women who are victims of domestic violence and she said something very loving and quite telling to me she said I want to work with you Bob Bobby some people call me Bobby I want to work with you Bobby because I want to change the world with meditation and I thought wow is that a complete circle 
Yeah, that is so cool. It's very cool. I love her. I loved her book. I think she's awesome. That's so cool that you're really. working with her. Yeah, really awesome. That's really cool. So bringing us up then to the present and like and talking about, you know, I actually before I even ask, you know, the other thing I was going to ask, I'm curious, you know, after hearing your story, like with, you know, going into the election, presidential election year that that we're um, in now, do you see um, bringing these tools into politics in the next say 10 years and like where would you like to see that and how can that kind of come into that that very broken system that that we have in a lot of ways it's an interesting thing it's it's like i almost think that the political process has become almost tangential to real substantial change they're playing so many games in at at, at the expense of very at the lives, very real suffering of you know millions and hundred million people living in poverty or hunger in this country and sickness and disease and they play these games and I am spending time in Washington DC and I am meeting with some like-minded people in Congress but I really think that the way that change is going to happen is going to be in a sort of a marriage between uh, commerce like tech companies like Google who are working with and philanthropy and let's just take something right to the people and in a pure straightforward way and not in a way that's just you become a, a tool for you know political gain so that one one special interest group that governs one political party can take you know can get into power I, I just it's it's I follow politics because, as I said, I've always been interested in it, but it's it's very depressing. On the other hand, without going through Congress, increasingly now, you know, the Veterans Administration and the Department of Defense has given us millions of dollars to study the effects of transcendental meditation on post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury among veterans in active duty military. So they're giving us the money without me having to go to a congressman and say, will you give me the money? And we're, now we had a meeting with the, Depart the Department of Education about our quiet time program, where kids begin and end each school day with 10 or 15 minutes of meditation, transcendental meditation. And that really, Katie, what that does is that, that prepares the student. You know, this kid comes from maybe who knows what life they what their home life is like but they yeah. come to first period class and now they're supposed to study algebra or memorize state capitals and it just almost sounds ludicrous when you've yeah. come to yeah. violent neighborhoods and yet they need to know at least algebra in order to be successful in life as it's currently structured so what they do is they start the first period 10 minutes the whole school is quiet and the whole school does meditate meditates and that changes the brain waves of the kids. It settles them down, it wakes up the mind, it wakes up the brain, it makes the connections in the brain for learning. And then the schools, the quiet time schools that were among the worst, within a year or two become among the best in terms of academic performance and suspensions and expulsions and graduation rates. So it's very, very satisfying. So long answer to your question, I think it's gonna be everywhere. I think, I think meditation and quiet time and transcendental meditation is going to be like what PE is, you know, yeah. right recess we used to have. So yeah, I think it's going to be everywhere in spite of whatever they're trying to do in Washington. 
that's fantastic and so inspiring. Um, what about just out of curiosity, do you know if any um, presidential candidate um, or not candidate, but actual president has been a meditator or specifically a TM meditator? I would just be interested to know and, you know, thinking of that, I, I forget what it's called, but um, and you can you can tell me, but that effect of when there's one person that can is meditating in a community, it can actually lower crime rates and yeah. impact the entire community. So I, I can imagine if we had a president come into office who was mindful and, and was a meditator, the effects it could have on the entire country and potentially world. No, it'd be huge. There have been no presidents that I know of. Um, I. I know that um, in the current slate of Democratic candidates, there's a significant interest in their family members who meditate. And um, but I think what you talked about is very interesting. You talked about this thing. It's called. It's named after the founder of transcendental meditation. His, his name was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and he was oh, yeah. a, he was a physicist in India who then. Uh, he studied with the greatest physicist in India and then he had a chance to study with the greatest meditation teacher in India and he became a great meditation teacher himself. So they named, the researchers named the uh, phenomenon in nature after Maharishi, Maharishi effect. And what that is, is it says, it's not one person, it says if just a small number of people like 1% or even less in a city or a town or a country are meditating then there's a very real concrete spillover effect and that the reduced stress and, and tension within the individual when a small number of people meditate it actually reduces societal stress as a whole and societal stress like you know you can drive in certain areas of a city and you just feel the tension and you can go to other areas or out in the country and it's relaxed and that tension that heat that fuels violence and crime and, and a lot of these um, negative social sociological uh, indicators, phenomena. And so the research shows small number of people meditate. It's sort of like if violence begets violence, can calm beget calm and reduce um, and reduce crime. And the research shows, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating and and not all that surprising because you can see that, you know, like you said, if it's just that 1%, if, you know, one person who's not meditating runs into one of the 1% that is in the store and they're, you know, one person's frustrated about the line and the other person isn't, that that might change the person who's frustrated day and then it's just this ripple effect through the community, through the society, through the world. And so it's just so cool that this work is being done and, and shared and, and I think having conversations like this one and like the one you had with Jerry Seinfeld and having so many celebrities on board um, or public figures that you know ha are very public about their appreciation for this technique um, and how it's helped with their with their creativity which is something else I actually wanted to ask you and I'll just ask you now but um, like like I said you know so many creative people use this technique in their lives you know Ellen DeGeneres Jerry Seinfeld like they said Pete Holmes who I who I love and love his podcast and Gabby Bernstein who we love Martin Sorskazi Cameron Diaz all these people it's so amazing and common um, can you talk about the effects of meditation with creativity yeah it's it's you know when I was young you just sort of thought well 
you know, you're just some people are born with being more creative, some people aren't. Some people have periods of creativity in their life, and some people don't. And um, and you don't really know how it comes or goes, and you just grab it when you got it. And people have writers, or they write their first book, and it's a you know it's a blockbuster, and then and then they they freeze up and they can't write their next one. And it turns out that transcendental meditation has two effects in developing creativity. One is in that analogy I used about the like a cross-section of an ocean where you have waves on the surface and then the depth of the ocean is silent and the surface in, for the mind, the surface of our mind is like the waves and those are the often turbulent, that's just thoughts, thoughts, thoughts and sometimes nervous, anxious thoughts, sometimes creative thoughts, sometimes just busy thoughts with making lists of all the things we have to do as soon as you get home from work and then the, the hypothesis that deep within every one of us is a level of the mind, is a fountainhead of <clears throat> unlimited creativity and intelligence and happiness. They call it pure consciousness. This is what the ancient meditation texts tell us. And the transcendental meditation, some meditations try and create calm on the surface. They try and, you try and clear your mind of thoughts, you try and stop thinking, you concentrate on your breath or something like that. And we don't do that. That's like trying to stop waves on the surface of the ocean. It's nearly impossible. This well, is good. Sorry to interrupt you, Bob, but I just wanted to say too that like I I never had you actually define what TM is. So maybe we could take a step back for everyone listening and sure. maybe you could, you know, just continue to like I think you're doing right now and, and discuss exactly what it is and how it's different from other forms of meditation like you're saying. Sure. So I, I use the analogy you're on a little boat and you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and all of a sudden you get these giant waves all around 30, 40 foot high waves and you could think, oh my God, the whole ocean is in upheaval. It's just like the whole ocean. And yeah, there's waves, but to say the whole ocean is in upheaval is a bit of a stretch because if you were to do a cross section of the ocean, you'd realize that the surface of the ocean does have these 30 foot high waves, but the depth of the ocean is actually a mile, it's like a mile deep. And you could have 500 foot waves and the depth of the ocean is always silent. So the surface of the ocean is active and sometimes turbulent. The depth of the ocean, always pretty darn silent. And so that's the analogy when we understand what happens with TM. Surface of our mind is the active thinking mind. I call it the gotta, 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 gotta mind. And you may have had that. That's the, the I gotta, I, you know. Sure. I got I got to I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to make a list and I got to find the list and I got to make the <laughs> list and I got to slow down then I got to get going and I got to get to sleep and I got to wake up got to make another got, list Yeah, got to got to got to got to got to and there's a natural human desire. You know, boy, I'd like to have some inner calm, some inner clarity, some inner peace, some inner wakefulness, some inner really big inspiration, some inner connectedness to myself. And the operative word there is, is inner. And so the question is, is there such a thing as an inner? And if so, how do you get there? So in Transcendental Meditation, we use that analogy and we hypothesize. We say the surface of the mind is like the surface on the ocean, active and noisy. The depth of the mind is like the depth of the ocean, always and forever silent, already quiet, calm, peaceful, wide awake, source of our energy, creativity, intelligence, our own inner self. 
And transcendental meditation is a simple, natural, incredibly simple and natural technique that just allows the active, agitated thinking mind, like the choppy waves on the surface, the mind to just settle down and experience quieter and quieter, less aggravated, less excited levels of thought, thinking, until we settle down to what science calls a state of restful alertness, or they also call the source of thought, my own inner self. And when that happens during TM, completely, a 10-year-old kid can do it, you can do it, I can do it, someone with a PhD in psychiatry, everybody can do it. And no one does it better and no one does it worse. It's just a human being thing. When that happens, your body gains a state of rest deeper than the deepest part of deep sleep. And that is very significant because in deep rest, the body can heal itself, can repair itself from the accumulation of stress and tension that's the residue of just daily life. And that stress and tension is what keeps us awake at night. It's what prevents the free flow of creativity, happiness, sense of self. And so transcendent, it takes, it's practiced about 20 minutes twice a day. Unless you're a kid, then it's 10 minutes. It's done once in the morning, sitting comfortably in a chair or up, sitting up in bed with your eyes closed. It's silent. You do that before the day begins, and then you do it again at the end of the day, preferably before dinner. Gives the body profound relaxation, and then that deep rest, and then it throws off the stress of whatever we picked up from the day, and then we plunge into the evening and dinner and friends, and they sleep a million times better. And we just bring the benefits of meditation out into daily life. Last thing, it takes about an hour a day over four consecutive days to learn it. This isn't something that's a mass meditation. There are already those out there. This isn't something you learn from a CD or, you know, uh, just somebody, you get a thousand people in a room and someone says, all right, we're going to do a guided meditation. It's something more significant than that. And you learn it one-to-one from a certified teacher. Like I taught Gabby to meditate, just one-to-one. So that's fascinating. So, and there's a a mantra involved. So how can um, people learn this and if someone wanted to start with this and thought that this was fascinating um, from hearing this conversation how could they get trained in this and have this in their life Um, they can um, email me I did this with Gabby they can just email me and I can put them in touch with uh, a TM teacher closest to them I want to be sure they get a, a certified real good one so they can email me at bob at davidlynchfoundation.org. Bob at davidlynchfoundation.org. If they listen to your show, then I want to be sure they get very well taken care of. So, um, and I would put them in touch. I'll email them back with a, a contact person. Cool. I'm excited. I'm going to ask you about that myself after this because I'm yeah. so where, excited where, about where it. Where do you live? I live in Detroit. Oh, yeah, there's some great teachers in Detroit. I love Detroit, I have to tell you. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Well, we'll have to talk about that after. If you're ever in town, we should um, collaborate and, and do something together. Yeah. Detroit's the greatest city. Oh, the, wow. I love the people in Detroit the best. Oh, good. Well, maybe that's why we connect so much. That's my amazing. Dad, my dad grew up in Detroit. No way. Yeah, and I taught TM in Detroit for many years, and it's so in just a little, you said it's an organic conversation. Yes, yeah, I've lived in, I was born in Washington, D.C. I lived in California for 30 years. I lived two years in Detroit, 
And all of my very, very, very best friends to this day were people I met for those two years I was in Detroit. Oh my gosh, that's so funny because I was just talking to a friend of mine um, who I met actually again through the podcast. I had her on my podcast, and she lives um, she lives in LA now, but she also lived in Detroit for two years. And same thing, all of her best friends she met here. So it must be something about you born Midwestern in work, Midwesterners. Were you I, born? I've been. I was born in Michigan. I, I'm from East Lansing, but I moved here um, a couple of years ago for my job, and I've been here ever since. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in the city, and um, I've been able to meet a lot of cool people. So it's a, definitely an exciting time to be here. As everybody listening to this should go visit Detroit. It's a, it's the greatest. I really think most heart, most soul, most creativity, just best Grit. people, best people, best people. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for now. You've like gotten me more excited than ever about being here. This is great. Yeah, I I agree. I think that I want to start like hosting events here and, and getting people in the city, and, and that's kind of my um, dream moving forward. So one thing we'll that, check back in about that next year. <laughs> I'll just tell you one thing since the conversation. Yeah, the please. Lynch Foundation. We raise money to bring. As you said when you're reading, we've mm-hmm. provided uh, instruction scholarships for over half a million um, urban youth in underserved schools, not only just in the United States, in de- including in Detroit, but um, all over Latin America and the Middle East and Africa, Rwanda, Congo, Uganda, South Africa, as well as Asia and Vietnam, so and Cambodia. But in the United States, we do these great fundraising concerts. Like, for example, we're doing a concert in New York on November 4th to fundraise for school programs here in the city. And we ha- we're doing a Carnegie Hall and we have Katy Perry and Sting and Jerry Seinfeld and um, all these people. But the reason I bring this up is I was just in a meeting three or four days ago with s- some people in Chicago. And we want to do, we were talking about how we want to do similar concerts in Chicago and in Detroit. I'd love to be involved and yes. connected. So, yeah, yes. I'm there. And I'll come to Chicago too because it's super close. All right. So, go ahead with your interview. Sorry for. No, this is amazing. This is like my favorite. This is how I like the show to be. When it's not like this, it's like a bummer. So, this is the best. So, right. yeah. And I love talking about the city and I love. Um, all these really cool, exciting things happening here. Like I said, it's just a super exciting time to be here. And a lot of people don't know that. And so it's starting it's, to sleep in though. People are starting to know. Yeah. It, it's starting to happen. Yeah. It's really cool. So where are you now, Bob? Are you in, I'm in New York City? Or New York? I'm in New York. York. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in San Francisco and I always thought that was the most beautiful city in the world. But now that I've been in New York for 10 years, and there's something great about New York, and there's so much power. Like, yeah. it's not my pl- favorite place that I'd want to, like, live and, you know, with a family, but as far as, like, connections. And so I, I, uh, I was back visiting, but it's so intense, but I was back visiting my brother in San Francisco recently, and we were standing on his terrace looking out over the city, you know, this beautiful city, and he said, so what do you think of San Francisco now compared to, to New York? And I said... San Francisco is a wussy little town. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Just well said. I'm happy to be able to. I want to change the world, and it's it's you can change it. There's so much wealth here, mm. and people who are willing to support the work of the foundation, and with that, I can bring it to schools all over the world. Yeah, I think that's a really, 
good point and an interesting thing you said about New York. I, too, adore New York. My, my uncle lived there growing up, and I've, like, been obsessed with it. Like, as a, as a kid, I used to get made fun of for, like, how obsessed with New York I was. Like, I had my I Love New York t-shirt after my trip to visit my uncle, and I was just, like, ever since then, I was just, like, obsessed with New York, and I just thought it was, like, the coolest city ever. And um, I was recently having a conversation with a friend of mine who lives there, and, and she was just saying, um, essentially, like, the wealth divide of, like, people living in New York, it's so many wealthy people are there because the cost of living is so high there now. Um, so it seems like it, it is a really good place um, to have the foundation and to be doing it's, the work. It's a terrible, unfair imbalance. But there are people who I've taught to meditate who have a lot of resources and who want to help. And that's very satisfying to me. Yeah. And so being here, even though it's got to be the most stressed place in America, just in terms of just traffic and intensity, it's a, it's a good place for the foundation. And we're doing a lot of good work. As I said, we're now starting to work with veterans and their families who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. 22 veterans commit suicide every single day in America. Oh, my gosh. I, when I heard that, I thought, you mean every year? Right. No, every single day, 22. And we send oh, these young boys and girls off with great fanfare, you know, and, and then to these, to these wars. And then when they come back, they have no fanfare. And if the enemy doesn't do them in, they do themselves in. It's a shame beyond belief. And my goal is to make this meditation available to any soldier, any mother, father, wife, husband, child, grandparent, who wants it that's what we're working on we're also working with women and children who are uh, victims of domestic violence another horror in this yeah, country yeah. anyway okay you go you ask the question I'll well talk. switching um switching gears again i mean it's amazing that you're doing doing that work but i would love to know like a little bit of a lighter on a lighter note um what is your favorite part of your job and, and the work that you do maybe like the most fun thing that you get to do good I think one of the most fun things I get to do is the people that I work with, and if you're ever in New York, or anybody's ever in New York, you have to come by our office, because it's, it's like me and 30 people who are in their 20s and 30s, and they are, who are teaching the meditation, they're organizing things, and there's like more and more young people who are either interning with us or going on for additional training to become teachers of transcendental meditation because they have a desire to do some create some substantive change and so to be able to be in an office because I still feel like I'm a same idealistic kid that I was back in Berkeley mm -hmm. and to just you know my generation I, yeah I'm not going to go negative on you because I know you want upbeat, but no, it's, like we were, it's like we were the ones who were protesting the war. We were the one, all this stuff, and now we're running the weapons manufacturing. We're running the banks, and we're just so the new generation. So what I love doing is I love I love going to work because there's so many cool people, and I love getting to teach that child, that ten year old who's never even heard of meditation, and I sit with him or her for an hour and I teach him this technique. And they get this deep rest. It's just that automatic. It doesn't take you. Anyone can do it, and it doesn't take like months or even weeks or even many days to master it. Just right away, and they open their eyes and they say, "Mr. Roth, 
thank you very much. I can't. And then they have that tool for the rest of their lives. So it's very satisfying for me. I love that. It's not difficult. It's not heavy. It's very blissful and satisfying. That's so cool. And I'm not surprised at all what you said about your team and, and your office, because even scheduling this interview with your assistants, like I had like a good time during that. Like they were so sweet and cool and like on it. And they seemed like they were really cool. So um, and that's great what, what you said about our generation. You know, I, I fall into to that category that you just mentioned. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that millennials, you know, we kind of get a bad rap about um you know, a lot of times like not being motivated and kind of being lazy. And I think that, um, you know, of course there's like duds in, in any generation, but it, but it's really great to hear someone outside of the generation noticing the good and like noticing, um, the inspiration and the, the drive that a lot of people do have. And I well, and I really also cool. think millennials, you guys are smart. You look at a lot of the stuff and it is bogus you know, politics, a lot of the institutions that everybody gets all excited about, they're bogus and you see through them and it's like, well, why bother with that? But when millennials see something that's authentic and, and you know, not driven by greed and with a genuineness of purpose, I find a great deal. And, and I, I appreciate the skepticism. I appreciate people coming to me, your generation, very skeptical, you know, that yes, this is a nonprofit organization and you can look at, you know, it's, we're not, nobody's here to make money. This is just to, to do good in the world. That a lot, a lot, a lot of millennials are attracted to what we're doing. And they're attracted to the other young people in the, in the office. So I, I, don't, I don't think millennials are, I mean, as you said, their duds are lazy. I just think you're smart and you're not buying into just bogus fabricated institutions that have been around forever and that does just because they've been around forever doesn't mean you have to buy into them I'm a big fan of detroit and millennials yeah this is great then we're meant to be best friends we are already this is the best yeah. um well you know something else I, i've been curious about you know thinking about this interview and, and and preparing for this interview and watching a lot of your your content and um interviews and and you've got such great fans of meditation and celebrities, but you're really the big um, face of TM meditation and, and sharing this and you're, you know, connecting with all these awesome people. What's it like, you know, being the face of, of this technique that you love so much and, and sharing it? Do you ever like get sick of talking about meditation? No, no, I, I love talking about meditation, but I'm going to give you a very honest answer. Yeah. I, I, you know how some people by nature, they want to be front and center on stage, this, you know, the, the, the clay, clay lights on them, and, uh -huh. and then others just like to work behind the scenes, and I, I love working behind the scenes. I love producing things. I love like almost like being in my pajamas on the phone, setting up 10 concerts or 10 talks, and to, and to be the guy who has to walk out in the you know, and give a talk and have everybody looking at me. That is not as appealing to me as just being able to sort of be behind the scenes and do all this fun stuff and not have to get out of my pajamas. So to answer your question, um, I, 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 I'm fine being, I don't know that I'm the face of it, but I'm more well known, but it doesn't, that doesn't what makes me, that doesn't, what do they say, float my boat? Yeah. Um, for some people, it can't, and it's not putting anybody down. It's just not my nature. You know, like some people are. You're more paying. introverted, you'd say, then? Yeah, you get your energy more from 
yeah. you know, being alone and then you kind of That's feel right. depleted when you're more in... Well, or else I just need to get away. Just by mm -hmm. nature, it's like some people are painters and some people are musicians. People express themselves. So yeah. I'm not putting it down. It's just like if you, your generation wants to come along quickly and take over my job, I'd be very happy. <laughs> but at the same time, I love doing this. I mean, I love talking about it. But I don't, I, you know, particularly like podcasts. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. this is a kind of a nice format for introverts um, really? in particular because it's like, you know, just you and I having a conversation. Like Love later it. people are going to hear it. But right now it's just you and me, you know. So, Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. But all the people perfect. I meet, can I comment a little bit yeah. on Let me. I used to wonder, you know, is are just people, some of these people where they are like Jerry Seinfeld or Cameron Diaz, are they there just kind of lucky? Did they just get kind of lucky? And there could have been... 50 people who are funny, but through the luck of the draw and breaks, Jerry's the one who got picked, you know, by the universe. It turns out Jerry Seinfeld is a genius. Yeah. Yeah. He's very funny at all times. I mean, I did, a, I did a TV show with him and George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America, because I did, I mean, I knew him and I taught his family, but I, and we were just sitting between takes between you know segments waiting to go on and he's just cracking jokes one after the other and he has everybody in the studio all the cameramen and everybody who are always cameramen that they're all negative sarcastic people because they just seen it all just roaring and I realized and Cameron Diaz is a genius I mean her she her understanding of, of science and the brain and so all yeah, I loved her book have you read her yeah. book Oh man, but all so these good. people have some extraordinary skill or talent. That said, wealth, fame, power, beauty does nothing to make you immune from stress, anxiety, depression, insomnia. It, it, it has nothing to do with it. A very wealthy person can feel as anxious as anybody else. And all the money in the world, if you're really chronically anxious and you don't want to just sedate your, you know, narcotic, what is it, sedate yourself with just a bunch of drugs or medicines, they're just as lost and desperate for something as, as the single mom. And they'll, I mean, nobody's, and they don't want, Cameron Diaz, nobody wants pity for them. But they have the same, you know, if you're awake all night for a month and you can't sleep, it doesn't matter how much money you have. There's no money you can buy to take care of that. And that's the beauty of teaching these people to meditate because I just teach people to meditate and I really don't care when I'm teaching them who they, you know, what role they're playing in society, you know, what mask they've got on on the stage as Shakespeare would talk about. They're just a person coming to me who's desperate for relief from suffering. And I was giving a talk to Ellen DeGeneres, and I said, Ellen, how come you want to learn to meditate? And she said, I really want to learn to maintain permanent connection with the intelligence that runs the universe, Bob. And I thought to myself, wow. And then she paused and she said, and also I can't sleep at night. <laughs> and I realized that that's what meditation does. It can help with both. Uh, all these people um, are on board, you know, to share the message that that's fantastic. But at the same time, it's like, 
you know, and, and I really, I'm, I'm fascinated by hearing people's stories and especially um, not just famous people like celebrities um, and creative people like that, but just successful people in general. Like I just, I'm obsessed with hearing their stories and how they spend their days. And, and really, you know, the more I do that, like you said, I, I realize that we're, we're really all not different and we're, we're all really special and we're all really not that special. You know, we all put on our pants one leg at a time, you know? And um, and that's that's what's so cool that like everybody needs needs these tools to rest and um, you know that was really the the main thing I learned you know researching a bit more about about you before this interview is is something you know you said in your your talk with Jerry Seinfeld about um, how and, and you can talk about this too how Jerry was like dude I don't need to do the the morning one like I just slept you know and um and then you know and then after like some coaching with you like now he's like totally on board to the the morning session but he looked at his bed and he was like does anyone look at their their bed and and think you know what went on in there was really restful because you know like I look at my bed and it's like the pillows are rustled everywhere and I've been in like a billion different positions and there's, you know, like drool and my hair is a mess, you know? So, um, so, you know, we can't really control how, how deeply we sleep. I even did like a whole, um, sleep podcast. We did like a whole week about sleep, um, on my blog, the wellness wonderland sleepover week. And, um, there's, you know, obviously things you can do to have deeper sleep, but you, again, you like can't control it. So that's what really fascinated me about TM is that finding that rest where you can control it. And this is the only way you can control it. Well, it's a million times easier to meditate than it is to fall asleep at night. Cause as you said, you can't, you can't do anything to fall asleep. You just sort of have to hope, you know, I mean, you can set up conditions as you said, but you still, you just sort of wait for sleep to come. And with this meditation, it's like flipping a switch almost. It's just like that automatic. And, and what it does is we build up stress. It's like I, I think of just the residue of life. Just, to, just not even, you know, we don't, we're not living in, in a war zone. We're not living with poverty and hunger and violence around, you know, in our, in our homes. We just have the residue of just life. And that buildup of stress it's like I always think of it like a backpack that you fill up with boulders and the way the only way you can really get rid of that stress until you know ordinarily is you get into bed with this backpack and you think okay sleep please come and please take get rid of these these boulders of stress because deep rest is what eliminates the buildup of stress the deeper the rest the better and you know, then you wake up in the morning, and if it was not a good night's sleep, you're at a loss because then you got to carry those rocks around with you for the whole day. And what happens when you have 20 minutes of TM? Because it gives the, it's the only thing that gives the body such profound relaxation, is the buildup of stress, toxic stress, gets dissipated twice a day, and we become more resilient, so we don't take on as much stress, and our brain is functioning in a more integrated way, all the connections of the frontal lobe, all the different parts of the brain communicating together, and because the, the neuroplasticity of the brain, those connections we make in meditation last outside of meditation in our daily life, that it's just kind of like amazing that we have this skill, every single person, a, a devout Muslim, an atheist, an agnostic, a fundamentalist Christian, a 
old person, young person, man, everybody has a mechanism in their nervous system to take this, have this experience of profound relaxation in their body and for their mind to settle down and begin to access those more expanded creative, creative levels of their consciousness. And I think it's the bad word that the word meditation has for so many people because we all oh, meditation, that's weird or I couldn't, there's such a misunderstanding, but fortunately, it's starting to change and fortunately, more and more people are learning TM and gaining the benefits. And I'll say one more point. Mm -hmm. People say to me, well, I do mindfulness. And I say, that's fantastic. Mindfulness has nothing to do with TM. And TM has nothing to do with mindfulness. It's not an either or. Mindfulness can be a wonderful coping tool. It's in the middle of the day, you're feeling really stressed, and you have something you can do for a couple of minutes to just break the, break the cycle and just chill. Whether you're just watching your breath or watching your thoughts, Transcendental meditation is completely different. You do it at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. It's this profound physiological relaxation. It does different things to the brain. And I say learn them all. Yeah. Learn them all. Geez, it's a, it's a war out there when it comes to all that stress stuff. And the more tools we have, the better. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I completely agree. And this is so perfect because... I really want to ask you like some of my signature questions and and you know how you're so passionate about TM and that's like the main tool that that you're so passionate about. So for me, I am really passionate about and I'll probably soon be really passionate about TM too, but um after talking to you and and this interview, but um I'm really passionate about journaling. And actually, I don't know if I told you this, but I have a book coming out next year about journaling and it's been such a positive tool for me and um, like you said, learning lots of different tools is, is really helpful. You know, TM and journaling and mindfulness and yoga and the whole gang. You know, we, we need a, a really expansive tool belt because we live in this world that, you know, like it's tough out there in Detroit, in New York, and everywhere. Um, so journaling is, is this tool that I'm, I'm really passionate about. So I would love to know, Bob, do you, have you had any experience with journaling or processing your thoughts through writing? Has that ever been um, part of your life? Absolutely. I, I started that at 17 or 18 and I do it and then I periodically come back to it and I don't do it and I come back and I come back to it at the right time, at different times, the right time and I really love it. I think, I, I think it's, um, it just processes things and it's, it's, it integrates things and it clarifies things and it gives a perspective, you know, later on, I can't wait to, to, to buy your book. Thank you. Well, I'll send you a copy. I can't wait for you to have it. Um, but but yeah, I, my book is called Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling because of, of just that. You know, you're able to let out these thoughts in your mind and and then, you know, that way they're not so pervasive during your meditation or during your day. And you can just, you know, we, we have, you, and I'm sure you know this, we have 60,000 thoughts a day. And a lot of times they're like these repeat things that we just are holding on to. So even just, you know, letting it down on the paper, I say in the book that it's like the most non-judgmental friend you have, you know, and it's just like texting your problems to them through, you know, your journal. I and, love it. And what a great service you're providing for people to, to open the doors to that. And, and, you know, I was just thinking about the tool thing that yeah. in a toolbox, there's no toolbox that just has a hammer, Right. a whole bunch of tools in there because there's different, different things that you need different tools for. And I think we don't equip ourselves 
or our ch you know, children and coming generation with those tools that are necessary to rise above stress, to cope with stress, to, to you know, train the mind, to be able to, to focus in the midst of stress, what to eat, how to, ha all those things. And so, you know, my generation and before was, would just take a pill or do jumping jacks. You know, my thing was just do was the stupidest thing, you know, do jumping jacks or go play kickball. But now there's so much more understood about different yoga postures, different exercise modalities, CrossFit, SoulCycle, Pilates, all these different things, and now journaling and what to eat and different diets, and there's transcendental meditation. And I just think it's, I think that's the hope. It's the hope of the future is to equip kids, children with these tools so they start in an early age and they shouldn't just be guard anything. It shouldn't the tool choice shouldn't be just based on sort of like marketing. It should be based there's proof, there's evidence to show that it works, you know, that it really works. I love what you said about the the toolbox in particular. Like we need all of these tools. And I I cite a study in my book, um, and I'm I don't have it in front of me, so I'm gonna like butcher it. But basically they did this study of um, people processing their feelings through writing and you know predictably found out that it was really helpful in their happiness levels and their stress levels and the way that they performed in their life it, it, it really changed everything which is similar to the the studies about TM so it's like things that are proven effective and, and then just giving people access to them I think is is really helpful to, to navigating the world the modern world that we live in now and I think you know it's interesting what you said um, about you know like the word meditation and I feel like for my generation and this again this might just be me and like the circles that I run in <laughs> from like what I'm into but to me like it's almost getting to the point which is amazing where it's trendy where it's like cool I, I think meditation's cool and I think it of course you know there's probably people that you know don't agree with me um and it's not you but like that wouldn't feel that way about about that word and, and maybe do it and like would hide it but like to me like I think it's like the coolest thing ever and it's like um it's not cool if you're like not into this stuff you know no, so I, it's, and I I think for as a generational thing your generation so much I mean my generation was the first one that sort of went for it. Mahari, you know, the Beatles went and studied yeah. with Rishi and then it was just like no one had even heard about it and it was just, it was weird but because the Beatles were doing it and other these great artists were doing it and then, you know, I followed, I didn't follow along but I heard about it because of them and then I did it because of, I, it proved it to myself. But there's, it's just generation after generation, this is a wonderful thing they say about science is that, um, Science progresses one funeral at a time. <laughs> and it's like you have these older generation that just holds on to old principles, old things, whether it's about, you know, gay marriage or racial equality or whatever. All those things. And then they're just like a norm. Like, give me a break. That's not an issue. That's right. maybe a problem. And I think with meditation, the same thing is happening. I think it's just becoming a norm. And so it's not such a strange thing anymore. You're right. Yeah, which is awesome. Just so cool. So, all right. Well, I'm going to ask you some of my signature questions. So, um, this is first... exciting. Exciting. Your signature question. Yes, my signature. This is like my favorite thing to ask people because I think it really gives me like a picture into their 
their lives, which which I love. So what does your morning routine look like? And um, maybe what are the first few things you do when you get up in the morning and how that affects how the rest of your day goes? Well. I think I know one of them. <laughs> yeah. I get up and I shower and I do some light exercises and then I meditate for 20 minutes. And then my breakfast consists of, do you want breakfast? My breakfast yeah. consists of fruit. I love grapes, particularly now because there's really fresh organic grapes or, are, are, you know, this is the time for those. And I have grapes and I love um, cereal, either cooked cereal or shredded wheat or something like that. And a little bit of yogurt and coconut sugar, coconut, yeah, coconut sugar. And maybe some juice or tea. And then I do some writing and then and maybe some phone calls because I work the David Lynch Foundation is we're in 35 countries. So maybe I have some this is from home. I have some calls uh, to the we have offices in London and Paris and Sofia, Bulgaria and Sydney and Tokyo. So I do some of that and then I get in the subway unless I'm in a really fussy mood and I don't want to be in the hot subway and then I take a cab to my office in Midtown. And then my day starts at the office around nine o'clock in the morning. I love breakfast. It's like my favorite meal and I love eating fruit as well. And yeah, that sounds fruit. like a great I, morning. I love fruit and I'm, I, I'm like a big, I'm like everybody in the office knows if they want to get me a birthday present, they just get me organic grapes. It's uh -huh. like to organic candy. grapes. Yeah, it's nature's, like candy. Nature's candy. Yeah. I just love them. So good. Have you ever frozen grapes before? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Just as you were just as I was just thinking, should I talk about freezing grapes? <laughs> I'm way ahead of you. It's like my favorite thing ever since I was a kid. Like, oh my gosh, it's the best. I used to um, just, I don't know if you've done this, but you take them off the vine and put toothpicks on them. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. My oh. mom, took, my friends asked, asked my mom when she was alive, they said, did Bob always like grapes so much? And she said, when I was in kindergarten, there was a PBS television, local television show that was going to be done on interviewing kindergartners in San Francisco. And so we all came from all these, like 10 of us from the different schools, and we're all sitting around this big round table, and then the interviewer was going to talk to us about what it's like to be in kindergarten. And just before it happened, the producer put this giant bowl of Thompson seedless grapes in the middle of the table. And my mom said... I got up on my knees and I just reached across the table and I just ate grapes the whole time and I didn't say a word. That's so funny. Oh my gosh, I can just picture like a little you doing that. That is so funny. Oh my gosh. That's like what I would do. That's what I remember. I have another like little kid memory with grapes. Like we had this, um, this is like so weird and like gross probably, but um, I had this Halloween party and we peeled grapes and then put them in like a box and then like cover the box and then people, we did this with like spaghetti was one of the things that would be brains, but like the grapes one, peeled grapes, like when you put your hand in the box and you don't know what it is, like it feels really nasty and we said it was eyeballs. Um, <laughs> I but love I it. was like doing that, like I was like setting it up with um, my friend um, who was having the party and I like ate so many of the grapes, the peeled grapes that like probably people's <laughs> hands had like been in like feeling. <laughs> And um, and they're like, well, what weren't enough for the rest of the party? And it was like an issue. And I always like think of that when I'm, when I'm like peeling grapes. That's really, I love that's a really good story. That's yeah. a, you're afraid 
a, a fellow grapeophile. Yeah, see, we're totally meant to be friends. Like, we can just eat I, grapes yeah, and talk I about Detroit. Already, we're, all, we're already. We're already. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Um, okay, so other part of that question is, what about in the evening? What are some of the last things you do before you go to bed, and how do you wind down and relax um, after a long day and, like, get into home mode? Okay, well, this is just something in the last few years, but my life is so intense because I'm going from talking, you know, raising money for the foundation and organizing all these events and then going to a homeless shelter or going to an inner city school or talking to veterans and their life is so intense or, you know, giving a talk at a bank and I'm around all these people. And as I said earlier, I kind of am an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I get done, now this is what I always, I didn't always do this, but now I'm really have to take care of myself because there's so much pressure in addition to meditation to take care of myself. So whenever I can get home, whether it's like, this is going to sound strange, like 7.30 or 8, and I've already meditated at the office, I take a shower and I get into bed and I read or I watch TV like PBS or something. I just shut down and I just love it because it's like my time and I don't have to do anything and I'm not being social. So I know that sounds strange. No, that's that sounds like my evenings. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. It's like, oh my God, take a shower because I got to wash New York off of me. It's just subways and it's so grimy. And then I go, oh God, I got all these hours just to myself. Yeah. So I, I do the same thing. I, um, I'm i also an evening shower um, and I'll like put my PJs on and then I'll like have dinner and listen to a podcast or um, like I don't have a TV, but I'll like watch TV on my computer. Like I love watching YouTube videos and stuff and it'll I'll just like hang out. And I used to like this is funny that you brought this up because I was actually um, speaking with my life coach about this like a couple months ago about how I felt like really guilty about the evenings, how I would literally just like sit like a vegetable and I thought, you know, like I should be, you know, reading a, a nonfiction book or learning something or I should be, um, you know, working or like, you know, doing something for the podcast and um, and I just like don't have anything left in me. And she's like, are you joking? Like, of course you shouldn't. Like you should just be resting and, um, and hanging out and entertaining yourself. So I think it's really great that you said that and powerful and I do the same thing and I think we all kind of need that time for ourselves. Someone just told me this morning, they were telling me that there's this whole new trend among younger CEOs where they used to like work the whole weekend and just work, work, work. And now they just, they just do nothing for the weekend. They just, you know, people, and I'm not talking about like a big bank, but just, just, they just stop. And I think that's just so necessary because if you want to have any quality of life, if you want to just surrender to and be a slave to money or be a slave to whatever, then you just, you just work like a crazy person, but then you don't even enjoy what you got. It you know damages relationships, it damages your health, and then what do you got? Then you have to spend all your money on healthcare. But the idea of just what you said, just just stopping, it's so great. I wish there were four day work weeks rather than five. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. And I guess that's the beauty of entrepreneurship is that you can really yeah. create your own schedule yeah. and yeah. and and handle that. But but yeah, I mean, I think. Um, there's this great saying um, within comedians, and I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, and I don't know you know, if this is his quote, but I hear Pete Holmes, who's also a huge TM fan and meditator, talks about it a ton in his podcast, but 
he always says you have to live a life worth commenting on and um, to be a comedian. And I think that's true in any profession. Like you have to live a life that is enjoyable and happy to bring your best self to your job, you know, as a banker, as a coach, as a teacher, as a, you know, whatever. You, you need to have that time and, and live the life, to, you know, to do your, your art, whatever that is. So, um, yeah, I agree. No, it's, it's, it's really, this is a great conversation, by the way. Yeah, isn't it fun? I, that's why I love podcasting, because you can just, like, go deep with people that I, I cut, just met. Are you, you going to edit this thing back? Nope. Nope. Really? It's just, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. People listen. I know. It's crazy. Well, thank you all for listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they stay with us. Yeah, this is great. I know. Isn't it fun? We're just, we're just having a great time. Just I know. Away. I love it. I know. It's so fun. So, okay, now I have my quick fire questions. This is when it gets really fun. You're going to love this. So, favorite color? Just say, like, the first thing that comes blue, to mind. Blue, 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 blue. Blue. Okay. Favorite season? Spring. Favorite food? We already covered this. <laughs> uh, I do like, uh, my yeah, at breakfast, but I do like... Um, Zucchini. I'm a. I've been a vegetarian for 45 years, so I like I like really sumptuous um, vegetables. What's your favorite vegetable? Zucchini. Aspa zucchini, asparagus, really good artichokes. Oh, artichokes are the best. And corn on the cob, corn just picked, right, just psh, fresh is like sweet as candy. Oh yeah, that's another and, one that's like nature's uh, candy. Yeah, those are my favorite. Those are my. But Have I, you I, ever I had? Any I like Mediterranean type food. I oh, like me too. Italy, you know, like pasta and tomatoes and cucumber and all that. Oh, that yeah. Um, what about like, um, like I thought when you said Mediterranean food, I always think of like hummus and, and yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. my favorite. Hummus, olives, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I love Mediterranean food too. My family's Greek, maybe that's why. Oh, but cool. Yeah, I love that too. Um, have you ever had grilled artichokes? Yes. But I was recently, like just a couple of weekends ago, visiting um, friends and we like cooked out a bunch of vegetables and we had grilled artichokes on the grill and it was so good. I was like, it was blowing my mind how good it was. Grilled vegetables are just amazing. Oh, I also love, I love potatoes. Oh <laughs> yeah, me too. God, yeah. French fries, fried this, I just love potatoes. Yeah, I have um, baked sweet potatoes like at least a couple so nights good. a week. Yeah, so, so good. good. So good. The Japanese ones are my favorite. Oh, have I Have you ever I had those? No, I don't think so. Oh my so. gosh, you have to try them next time you're at Whole Foods. Japanese sweet potatoes. They're no. um I think they're like a little sweeter, but they're the really dark purple ones. So everyone listening. I used to live favorite. in Ferndale. Really? I, yeah, I lived in Ferndale and I used to go shopping at a Farmer Jack's. Oh, I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there anymore. Oh, Farmer Jack's and what was it? Kroger. I shopped at Kroger, and then I would go. There was a health food store. Yeah, right downtown. I yeah. go there all the time. In Ferndale. Royal Oak too, I think. Yeah, like Nutri Foods. I was just there today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, this is blowing my mind. This is yeah. so crazy. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, we can for everyone listening, if, if the people from here will understand, but we'll have to like commiserate about this later because it's so cool that we have this connection. So, yeah. okay, this is perfect. My next question was, I just looked down at it, favorite city? Detroit. Yay, this is so cool. That's so timely. Now um, that's putting down other cities, but my favorite city in my heart is Detroit. Oh, that is so cool. And fitting for me in this podcast. Yes. Um, okay, best dream that you have that 
that you can remember, like sleeping dream, if you have one. No, I do. I have to. I have to think of that. Um, I'll tell you two funny ones. Okay. So okay. one, I, this is a dream I've never forgotten. Um, I, like from kinder, like preschool. I it like in addition to liking grapes, I always had like I'm like a romantic. I always had like crushes on girls, and I remember in second grade. There was a girl, Nancy Frank, in my second grade class who I had a total crush on. And I don't even she, think she knew that I existed. And she sat like two on the road to, isn't this wild that I remember this? Two row, uh, the road to the left of me and the second grade and then two seats up. And I had a dream that I taught her how to play kickball. And I have not ever forgotten that. It was like pure second grade love yeah just pure because there's nothing associated with it other than nancy frank i have a crush on nancy frank and uh -huh. i'm gonna teach her because i loved kickball it was like yeah my favorite thing in the whole world was kickball oh my gosh first of all kickball's really fun like I, really fun it's so fun i we used to like in high school have these like grill outs and we would just like play kickball in the park and it was so fun um <laughs> And I remember like all the like romantic dreams that I have and then you wake up and you're like think it's real for a second and then your whole day is like good from that. So oh, I totally such a good feeling. Yeah, okay, it's the best. Next okay, next. Hardest time you've ever laughed. Hardest time I've ever laughed? Yeah, like the hardest the, like um I guess I always like phrase that in like a weird way. Like not the like the hardest time, like the most difficult time you laugh, but like the the biggest laugh you've had, like the thing that made you laugh laugh the most. It was just recent, and I'm trying to remember. I was with about three or four people with the David Lynch, you know, the, the youngins, as I say, you young people. Um, and we were out. A donor let us have a place in the Hamptons, which is this gorgeous place, um, for this, to go out there and just have sort of an off-site. And I'm, I can't re I'm being honest. I can't remember what it was, but we were, it's one of those proverbials where you're laughing so hard you're going to pee. Yeah. You know, it's like you're just laughing, and, I, and it just – kept going and then we were just laughing that we were laughing and I can't remember all the details but it was recently it was like like within a month or two ago oh that's so funny isn't that the best it's the best and it just takes over yeah. it just and it's from inside the best part is it just it just bubbles up from within and so the laughter is just like it just reverberates like something is so crazy funny and then you're just laughing and laughing and it's so healthy for you too. I had some on the show. It hasn't aired yet. Maybe by the time this this airs, but she teaches laughing yoga, and it's um, so healthy for us to, to yeah. do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so what advice would you give to your twenty five year old self? Keep going. Just keep going. When I was twenty five, I I I was really genuine in what I was trying to do, and keep going. Yeah, I can't even say anything else. Just keep That's going. That's perfect. That's perfect. Short yeah. and sweet. Um, what's your favorite quote? Uh, two. One, Maharishi has a great quote where he says, see the job, do the job, stay out of the misery. Mm. And I just love that. Just, you know, just do it and just don't get caught in everybody's shticks. Yeah. So I really like, see the job, do the job, stay out of the misery. And Lao Tzu similar to that said, you know, the great Chinese, he said, yeah, if you uh, pick something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, yeah, I love that one. 
So those are my, you asked for one, but I gave you two. No, that's good. Thank you. Um, okay, so this question's a really good one, but I can't take credit for it. This is Tim Ferriss's question that he always asks people. He's a meditator, by the way. He's a meditator. Oh, cool. Of course. Um, this is good. So he says, in the last um, six to 12 months, what is one purchase, $100 or less, that's had the most impact on your life? If you can think of something. This is a good one, but I'm so caught up in Detroit and all these other things that I have to sort of settle back down. And I, <laughs> there's too much. Can we go back to that and I'll see if it pops up? Yeah, if it pops up. Yeah, or, or if really you think of it question. later, you let me it's know. It's a really good question. I know, isn't it interesting? I know, I don't even think I could think of something right now, but. Um, I know, I'm so sort of all over the place from I know. this discussion. I know. Okay, so this, one, this one's fun too. So you're trapped on a desert island and you can only bring with you the following things one book. Um, one TV show or movie to watch over and over again, and one um, food to eat on repeat. What would you bring? Go. Grapes. <laughs> uh, one movie. Movie or TV show seasons. Oh, whole season. Yeah. Oh, I really liked this thing a long time ago. It was called Joan of Arcadia. It oh, was, yeah, I remember that. No, it was not anything profound, but the, the Joan, who was played by Amber Tamblyn, it was about this God shows up in all these different... I know this isn't the, like a particularly intellectual thing, but, no. but Joan uh, reminded me of my goddaughter, Joanna Pitt, who um, I love and who is working at, my, at the David Lynch Foundation and who's like great... TM teacher to inner city school kids and they both have the same sort of purity and power and innocence and there was something about that show that I really liked as far as like more cerebral type things um, gosh I have lots of them like Cosmos series that was just done by the physicist Something just, you'd probably bring the Joan of Arcadia thing though, because something you wouldn't get sick of and would be fun yeah, and comforting. I would watch it. I could watch that. Yeah. Watch oh, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to watch the seasons. No, I love finding new season. stuff. You should definitely see yeah. it. It's like very sweet and it appeals to my sort of, sort of like I think what meditation has done for me over all these years is it like I see a lot of my friends that when I go back to like thirty and forty year high school reunions, they're like worn down and beaten up and sort of jaded and exhausted and I think all these years of meditating has just allowed me to keep my sort of inner kidness yeah yeah I, I bet it has and um and that's inspiring so you to should hear see, you should see the first year yeah just tell me what you think when you see it yeah no I totally will and I just I you have still have to, to finish this question but it just reminded me of this line from one of my favorite movies and um this character in the movie um i forget who he's played by but you would definitely know him he um he plays this like older college professor who's retiring and he has this great line in the movie and he's like i still feel like i'm an 18 year old you know 65 year old he's like i yeah, just yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't mentally feel any older than I did when I was in, in college and, and it's just like this profound thing and I ended up like talking to my dad about that like the other day and, and he said the same thing he's like I still feel like I'm I'm 25 I'm just like 55 you know and my mom used to tell me when she was in her 70s or later and she was she was fighting cancer at the time and 
and she'd look herself in the mirror and she'd say, who is this person? Because I still feel like this girl. Yeah. And yeah. it's such an interesting thing. And that's the self that you experience when you transcend in TM. Your own, that thing that this experience, the I, the I that was five years, the I that loved Nancy Frank, the I that loved kickball, the I that was in seventh grade and insecure because now I'm in a new school and am I cool? And then the I that I was an uh, editor of my high school newspaper in my senior year. My, I had a column that was called The Gripes of Roth. <laughs> that's my last name. Oh, is my Roth. gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. And, and, and grapes, it like kind of comes uh, back yeah. in. And all that, the I continues, that I, that continuum, the experiencer. And it, sometimes that I can get lost in all the pressures and craziness of life. But what meditation does is it allows the, the self, the I, the experiencer to just radiate like the light of, they say, a million suns. Mm. But I, there was one other question that I'm not sure I'm – what was the other one that I was supposed to answer? It, it was book. But but really quick, I just wanted to say with, with that, it's I, – I was just talking about that in my yoga class that I teach this morning about like – that, like you said, that I, that, that spirit in all of us, that's the same, you know, and since we were the size of a loaf of bread until we were like the size of a yardstick and then now we are now, but it's like, it never changes. And I can think back to elementary school and it's just the same as how I am now. And it's, it's just so cool. So anyways, I just had to say that, but yes, tell us the book that you would bring. But to so the there's island. a book, there's a book called the Bhagavad Gita. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Bhagavad Gita, which was, um, is said to be it's a conversation between a war a great warrior um, whose name was Arjuna and his charioteer who was Krishna, but Krishna not as a religious leader, you know, but just as a great warrior, wise. I mean, great great uh, charioteer, and it's a conversation about the me- the importance of life, the meaning of life, what's real, what's trans, what's ephemeral, and it's ve- and I love it. And there's a Maharishi did a trans translation and commentary of the first six chapters and that is one of those things you know there's certain books that you can read and then you read it five years later then you read it ten years later and you just mm-hmm. same words but it have deeper meaning to the whole thing so that I would take that book what is um, your favorite place you've ever traveled to <laughs> I've been all over the world and I love Rome oh cool I love Italy I, I sure if there are past lives I like lived there for a million. Yeah, probably. I just no. I just there's something about. I grew up in Marin County, which had a very similar feeling of just Mediterranean climate and all of that. I've been to India a lot. I really loved India. Twenty thirty years ago, when it was less uh, westernized or just less noisy and filthy, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to get anywhere in India. But I would say Rome. Um. What is the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? Well, that's not fair because you know what it's going to be. Oh, well, best – I should have asked this better. Best meal that you've eaten in the last week. I, I, I like the meals that I cook for myself. Um, I, I eat very simple foods, not like you Greek people who love all this. <laughs> um, I, I steam – I sautéed and steamed, steamed and sautéed some vegetables, and I had some pasta and some really fresh cottage cheese. And a friend of mine made fresh tomato sauce. You know, they they took oh, the peels, uh, uh. took the peels off the tomatoes and added garlic and onion and salt and pepper, and and that was like, 
I I love that. I never get tired of it. just that kind of a meal. Yeah, I, simple things are, are the best for me too. Yeah, me too. Totally. It's better for my digestion. It's better for my health. Yeah, it's easy. It's more efficient, and <laughs> um, all of those ways. Wise wise woman for your relatively in this lifetime few years. You're very wise <laughs> woman. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so only a couple more. Um, how are you challenging yourself lately? I'm challenging myself to do something which I never, ever in a million years ever wanted to do, and that is somehow raise an enormous amount of money so that I can pay these younger, young meaning 20s and 30s, your age, TM teachers to go into schools and hospitals and homeless shelters and teach TM for free to whoever wants to learn. And I want to raise the money so that these people can have a very comfortable life. I don't think if you work for a nonprofit you should be poor or suffer. I don't think you should be rich, but I think you should be comfortable and be able to raise a family and go on a vacation. So I have to raise money and I really don't care that much about money. And so that is really out of my comfort zone. But I'm, I've decided after hating it and resisting it, now I'm just going to be the best fundraiser ever in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing. That's so inspiring. Really cool. So what is your favorite um, song, either lately or just in general, favorite kind of music you like it's to listen to? It's a Bob Dylan song, and it's called Shelter from the Storm, which is from Blood on the Tracks, which I really love that whole album. I was a big Bob Dylan fan growing up, but Shelter from the Storm, if you haven't heard it, it's really good. I'm going to listen to it like after this. Yes, and this is going to sound crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I was young... I really love the <laughs> Mary Poppins, and there's some really great Mary Poppins songs. Oh, I love show tunes. I listen to show tunes all yeah, the time. Yeah, I love it. And I actually love love show tunes so much. I went. My friends took me to see the play. And is this just? Am I just making a fool of myself telling you this? No, stuff? this is the best. This is like oh. this is why I love these end questions because it's like the realest time of the podcast. So, and I like to just like get real and like talk and so about I, everything. Like Mary Poppins was just sort of like as a kid, I really loved. I love show tunes too, but there was just something about that story about Mary and she had what she did. And um, so I went to the Broadway play, which was just you couldn't get tickets, and I was in the third row, and I was just loving. Aww. And then at at intermission, this person from behind me leaned forward and said, "Excuse me, are you married to the woman who plays Mary Poppins?" <laughs> That's so funny. That was very funny. You are so excited. That's hilarious. What's your favorite musical? Is it Mary Poppins or do you have another musical that's your favorite? Or, you know, show? This is a darn, darn good one. I, uh, I would just leave it at that. That's yeah. a good one. I mean, there's lots. I'm in New York. I go to a lot and I love them all. But I think Mary Poppins. We'll talk, we'll talk more about them next time, next show. <laughs> um, what about movie? What's your favorite movie or one that you watched recently that stuck out to you? I just saw African Queen for the first time in a long time. Humphrey Bogart and uh, Catherine Hepburn. And it was quite powerful. You know, that was something that growing up, it was um, those. And Casablanca, I really loved. Um, those That's are really classic. old ones and more recent ones. Um, I'm a sucker for sports. I'm a sucker for underdog movies and sports, wherever the underdog wins, you know, and it's always yeah, dramatic. Yeah. And then I cry because <laughs> the, the team wins. 
Like angels in the outfield and stuff? Any, yeah, any of those. Just any of them. I'm like the sucker for that stuff. <laughs> That's love, so funny. I love people overcoming odds. I'm very inspired by people overcoming. Because my whole life is just, I hate, and this is going to go back to, but I, I, I was thinking about this. I hate things that aren't fair. I mm. hate people when there's injustice. And it's so simple to sort of create, and it's not just sports, but any movie where they show the Jackie Robinson story or anything in that sports, but any movie where they show people overcoming odds and being victorious that are that I love. That's so cool. Um, all right. So this yeah. has been amazing. And thank you so much for everything you shared. And now I ask the um, my main question, we've led up to this. So as you know, the name of my blog and this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Bob, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? I want to create a world that's a wellness wonderland for everyone, where food is abundant and healthy and nourishing and the farmers are paid properly for their hard work and healthcare is free and available to all and is more uh, is more prevention oriented so people don't have to suffer through illnesses and sickness and disorders that are completely unnecessary and the air is pure and clean and the water is is uh, also pure and clean and not polluted by companies that abuse our natural resources and and that People feel safe in the in their work environments where they can be themselves, and that there's not—is this too much? No, this is amazing. And there's not a big dichotomy between their life, and then they go to work, and it's horrible, and then they can't wait to get out of work and, and go into the arms of their loved ones. But there should be uh, a—it um, just life shouldn't be wasted in oppressive work environments. So the wellness wonderland and to have more and more and more and more people like yourself who are standing up for what's good and right and, and just and fair. And it has been incredibly enjoyable for me to spend this hour plus with you. You're really an extraordinary person. Mm, so are you. This is so amazing. Thank you so much, Bob. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. All right, guys, I have Dr. Jeffrey here who has a PhD in mindfulness, and I'm so excited to learn more about that, what that means, and how, how did you decide to come to this work? How did you decide to study mindfulness at this level? Well, I've always been interested in wellness, and I've uh, been designing and uh, researching wellness curriculum uh, since I was uh, in my early 20s, and then I continued to practice yoga and learn more about yoga and I continued in graduate work and uh, mindfulness uh, there's a, a large research base in mindfulness so it kind of threaded into there and so my area of interest was mindful wellness and um, just continued exploring and designing new curriculum and, and uh, researching mindfulness based trainings and turned into uh, working with healthcare professionals and teachers and um, lately, my work's gone into uh, working in the workplace. Oh, that's so cool. So tell us a little bit more about that and mindful wellness. How do you even define that? Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? 
Sure. I mean, um, well, mindfulness is really this practice of staying in the moment, uh, being present in your life and using really a new technology um, for staying present in your everyday life and learning to use your faculty of attention. So the mind is very quick to wander into thoughts about the future and thoughts about the past. And with mindfulness, we become more aware when our mind has wandered and we just bring it back in, into the moment. And we can cultivate well, wellness and well-being in our life by staying more grounded and present in the moment. Mm. So good. So can you leave people with some practices of how to become more mindful in their lives right now? Sure. Um, meditation is office. uh it's commonly uh, the practice that people point towards when they're talking about mindfulness and it's a, a proven practice to cultivate to cultivate mindfulness and w with the 30-day challenge which is a new online training that we're uh, we're rolling out through mindwell we're teaching people about mindfulness and action in a practice called take five and what we're really excited about is it looks and feels a bit different than a formal meditation practice you don't really need to close your eyes or even stop what you're doing to practice being mindful and um you know like in this very moment i'll invite all the listeners to just notice something new in their environment and bring their attention to something that they weren't paying attention to one moment ago. And it could be the smallest detail. It could be a color. It can be feeling their connection with the chair if they're sitting or a texture. Just bringing their attention to really zero in on something novel. Mm, and, and, then, and then I invite them to feel their feet on the floor and just noticing that their feet are either touching their shoes or a floor and lifting and lengthening up through their spine. So pressing through the heels and lifting and lengthening up through the spine and then bringing their attention to their breath and just noticing one breath in the body. Just noticing the breath moving in and the breath moving out and then deepening and lengthening that breath. So the inhale and the exhale is about five seconds. Mm. And then I invite people to take five breaths in that way where the inhale and the exhale counts as one. So you can count out five breaths and noticing that the mind may wander away, but that's totally normal. Just bring it back to feel the sense of the breath moving into the body and out of the body. And then when you're finished your five breaths, just bringing your attention into now, noticing what's present now in your experience in body and mind. I love that. That's fantastic. So what kind of, why is mindfulness so important? What kind of results have you seen? And I'd love to know a little bit more about the work you do in the workplace. Yeah, well, we're, it's really exciting, actually. I was just speaking with some of our research partners at the Sauter School of Business at the University of British Columbia, who are currently, um, they're analyzing some data from a study that we've just been just been doing with probably about three or four different workplaces we've implemented this 30-day mindfulness challenge and online training and in mindfulness and we did a pre and post comparison to see what are the benefits of doing that and just uh, it's not fully not fully baked yet but we're seeing really positive results in the area of uh, in the area of uh, stress reduction in the area of uh, leadership in the area of um, performance in the workplace 
getting along uh, with colleagues, communication. So the researchers were really excited today when they were just getting a glimpse at uh, high level, uh, high level, high level outcomes. Mm, that's so cool. So how can the people listening keep in touch with you, learn more about mindfulness and tell us about the 30 day challenge and how people can get involved with that? Okay, well, that's that's great. I mean, everybody can learn about uh, the 30-day challenge and the work that we continue to do through our website at mindwellcanada.com. And I'll have the link in the show notes. And you can sign up for the challenge right there. We've got a challenge starting um, at least every month, sometimes twice a month, and it's full 30 days. And when you sign up to do the challenge, you can invite a buddy, so you're actually not doing it alone. And cool. and so you get to sign up with a good friend, and you go through the 30 days, and you get a, a daily email, which takes you to, uh, which will link you to the the challenge dashboard, and and there's videos and infographics and podcasts where that um, scaffold the curriculum over the 30 days. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Jeffrey. Is there anything else before I ask you the final question that you want to share or anything else? No, not really. I, I feel like uh, I've given uh, a, a decent yeah. overview of, of mindfulness and the 30-day challenge. I, I think mostly I'm excited to uh, get mindfulness out there to more people. One of our, yeah. our mission at MindWalk Canada is really to make mindfulness more relevant and accessible for more people. We know mindfulness works. There's tons of evidence to show that you train in mindfulness, uh, it increases your health, well-being, mental health, it, it shows changes in the brain. And we know it works and we're trying to make, make it more accessible for more people so that if meditation doesn't uh, seem to be the best fit for you or it's just not accessible practice, then there's other ways to cultivate mindfulness in your life. Mm, very cool. So. The name of this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland Radio. So when I offer that term to you, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. it's, a nice, it's a nice image. Um, you know, I, I see balance. I see lots of colors. Um, uh, a model that I always used to work with wellness was a, a wellness wheel. and Each had seven dimensions, and uh, each dimension was a different color. So immediately when I hear a, a wellness wonderland, I think of balance in, in all areas of my life. I think about integration of uh, different aspects of my life. And I think about awareness. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you very much. Next week on the podcast, Jordan Younger, the balanced blonde. She wrote a book called Breaking Vegan, and she's super famous, super cool, super down to earth, super nice, and a friend of mine. So I can't wait for you to hear that episode next week. Until then, stay living in your wellness wonderland till I see you back here in this one. And make sure you're signed up for my email list. That's the best way to keep in touch with me. So just go on over to the link in the show notes. You get my quick start guide to living in the wellness wonderland as well as my favorite things, which I say in my Oprah voice. And it's just a really great list to be on. 
Also, the Hay House World Summit is still happening. So if you have not signed up for it, get your buns on over there. Sign up for the Hay House World Summit. If you like podcasts, you are going to love the Hay House World Summit. It is interviews with 100 spiritual teachers and leaders, people like Louise Hay, obviously, she started Hay House, people like Nancy Levin, who's been on the show, Gabrielle Bernstein, Chris Carr, Tara Stiles, Wayne Dyer, even though he died and... I'm so sorry. I love Wayne Dyer, but there is an interview with him, which is really amazing, and I love him, and he will be missed, but it's very cool that there's an interview with him. So I'm going to just keep rambling. You guys don't have to even be listening right now, but definitely sign up for the Hales World Summit. One other thing I want to plug and promote is my good, dear friend Christy Harrison has this amazing program all about intuitive eating, and it's available now. So the link to that is in the show notes as well. Talk to you soon.